there's something wrong with me. I was a bad person. This, this is the messaging that we get in mainstream America. And mm -hmm. so when I finally, you know, realize like, well, no, it's kind of because this, this, and this, um, a lot of which I think are sort of a, a cultural factors that create the conditions for, for high trauma here. And, um, and then it was a huge weight off. I think even just knowing felt better. Hi, welcome to the Melrose Show. Melrose here. If you've listened to this intro before, you can click the forward button now eight times to get to the start of this episode. So before this version of myself, I was an artist, fashion designer, professional model, TV personality, small business owner, real estate agent, placement agent, and an institutional financial advisor, all before stepping into my current role, which I love in investor relations and podcasting professional. Woo! It was a wild ride to get here. And after all those jobs, living in six countries, 16 different cities, and trying on many versions of myself, I have found that the best place to live is comfortably in my purpose and in a space and a community that allows me and wants to see me grow. And I want the same for you. Through my highly versatile career path and working with others on their dreams along the way, I decided to start this podcast to try to help people understand that life is not a race, it's a marathon, career is not a ladder, it's a jungle gym, and that I really believe truly the best way in life is following curiosity. My curiosity has me focused on career, plants, shadow light and integration work, art, permaculture, and community building. These are my purposes in life. And for me, they all go together. They're topics that we will explore together throughout time on this podcast. And I come here to connect you to unique ideas from incredible people. The aim is to help us all grow more into our purpose-driven lives. This podcast supports a community of amazing humans that meet on full moons to howl and heal. We are a global community. Many are interviewed on this podcast. And I invite you to join us offline after the show. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this exploration journey with people from around the world who have self-actualized in their lives in some way. Hopefully, they will inspire you in your own authentic journey. Enjoy! Today, we are joined by Allison Sibula. Allison is a community facilitator at ACES Connections. ACES stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences, and ACES Connections supports communities to accelerate the use of ACES science to solve our most intractable problems. They are a digital catalyst that unites people, organizations, systems, and communities in the worldwide ACES movement. Allison is joining us from San Luis Obispo, California today. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Thanks so much, Mal. Thanks for having me. We are so excited to talk to you today. I've, I've talked about ACES a few times on the podcast. And um, before we get too deep into ACES, I just would love to get a little insight on your background and how you came to work with this movement. Yeah, um, I have been working with ACES Connection for a year and a half. And you know what's really funny is that I actually went back and reread my personal statement when I was applying to grad school. With, <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I was applying to grad school three years ago. <clears throat> That's when I, you know, had to send in my, my applications and everything. And it's so funny that my vision for what I wanted to do after grad school, like exactly happened. It exactly came true in like, in like the weirdest exact way. Wow. I shared in my statement <laughs> I <love> that. <laughs> that I wanted to help people better understand um, scientific research. And I wanted to work in some way. I wanted to work in science communication. And I specifically wanted to work in something trauma informed. And I'm doing all of those things. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, wow, good for me. <laughs> you know, I'm a big like journal keeper and I write things down a lot. And I love yeah. going back because it is shocking. You know, when you put it down on paper, somehow it manif it does like find its way to yeah. Reality. Yeah. I, I was shocked. I, the reason I went back to reread it is just because I'm, I'm helping a friend of mine with her, her graduate school application. So I just thought, well, what did I do? Right. You know, cause a, a couple schools let me in, but, um, <laughs> but I was shocked. I was shocked to go back and read it and, and to see that I have this vision for what I wanted to do once I had my graduate degree, because, you know, I, I, definitely was a was probably about 10 years older than like my fellow students in the program mm -hmm. so you know and more just more mid-career um, I'm 35 now and so uh, I which I graduated last December so you know for me I had been working in a field that's um, that's also violence prevention which was fair trade it helps prevent violence against women by empowering them economically and but yeah. <laughs> but um, once I started reading more about the science of how trauma in early life impacts um, literally any health outcome you could think of, physical, mental, you know, from substance misuse disorders to heart disease and diabetes, and seeing that there is a relationship between what happens in childhood and, and your health or um, even your economic outcomes later on, I just thought this is, this is what I want to work in. And so apparently I included that in my personal statements when I applied. And, um, and it's so cool that I found this opportunity with ACEs Connection that's helping to both communicate the science and uh, we help communities become trauma-informed. So we have an online platform where um, say the town of San Luis Obispo, California, where I live, you know, has a community on our website and we give them that platform, you know, to network with everyone who wants to be trauma-informed in the, in the area and also um, somewhat of a roadmap to kind of help start their communities to become trauma-informed. Gotcha. So when people find ACEs and they realize that this is something that their community should probably be focusing on, you would come into the community and show them how to implement, you know, the science and the research and putting together, you know, activism, right. To go alongside this. Yeah, we definitely, it depends on the community. I mean, each community is different. So some communities are already, they've already started, you know, there's some sort of champion in the community, some leader that already knows about ACEs science or is already implementing trauma-informed interventions. Um, and so they might come to us and say, we just want a spot on your website to um, help us um, kind of track our progress, post our progress, um, stay in touch with everyone else in our community. 
but then some communities will say, you know, we really don't have anything like this going. Let's form a little initiative on your website. And then we provide a lot of tools to get going. Got it. Okay. So, oh my gosh, so many questions. Um, <laughs> so what was your graduate degree actually in? I have a master of public health degree from Boston University. Awesome. Okay. And so um, you've always known that you you kind of wanted to work, well, at a certain point, obviously, before your graduate degree, you realized you really wanted to really focus on trauma-related scientific research and the, you know empowering the community, which you obviously wrote in your mission statement and have mm -hmm. self-fulfilled that. So you're mm -hmm. actually the perfect person for us to talk to you about this because um, I want to explain to people what adverse childhood experiences actually means. Could you mm -hmm. give us a summary? I feel like at the end of this, after you and I are done, what I'm going to do is read the 10 questions to people. So if you're interested sure. in taking the test at the end of this conversation, I will read the questions out loud and you can figure out your score. So, but let's talk a little bit about what actually ACEs is. Yeah. So ACEs comes from this original study that was done in the 1990s, the late 1990s. I believe it was like 95 to 97 or something like that, where um, Dr. Fuliti was um, uh, surveying, I think he surveyed something like 17,000 participants, like a really high number. And these were people in the San Diego area who had Kaiser insurance. So these were like, just sort of what you think of as like a, maybe like a regular middle-class person who has insurance, health insurance. Mm -hmm. And um, they were asking them about um, adverse childhood experiences to track and see if there was a correlation between the number of adverse childhood experiences in childhood and various health outcomes later on. Now, the, the inspiration to do this study came actually from uh, what they were, their work in weight loss. Uh, they were working with patients who had diabetes or were overweight to help them lose weight. And what they were finding is that even though a lot of the people would have su success and lose weight, they would inevitably um, put it back on. And then when they started to delve in a little deeper, they found that uh, these people had really uh, traumatized childhoods, um, including a high prevalence of sexual abuse in childhood. So, um, so that is what inspired, they thought, well, we need to look at this more because what else are we missing here? So um, they found a really high correlation between things like having experienced trauma in childhood and then things like experiencing violence later on or um, um, you know the the prevalence of alcoholism um, they even right. saw a decrease in life expectancy right that was what like shocked me the most actually when mm -hmm. I was like whoa you know people who have over a three on the aces it said only lived like 60s or 70s and people that have less get into their 80s or who deal with it. Um, yeah, I think then I think what I remember reading is that if you have an ACEs score of eight or more, uh, your life expectancy goes down on average. And this is population health, so you can't apply it to individuals, but the, the average life expectancy goes down by 20 years. Yeah, it was a 20-year gap and I, I was like blown away. Um, so just so everyone has an idea, because I'll just read these out really quickly just so people can kind of get a better understanding of where they're at. Um, so 
there's three categories of ACEs. You have abuse, neglect, and household dysfunction. And when you have a certain amount of these that have happened to you in your childhood, you have a greater likelihood of having behavioral issues and physical and mental health issues. Um, so some of the abuses, some of the adverse experiences might be physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse. Some of the neglect would be physical or emotional. And then the household dysfunction would be mental illness, incarcerated relatives, substance abuse, mother treated violently, and divorce. And some of the physical manifestations would be lack of physical activity, smoking, alcoholism, drug use, missed work, severe obesity, diabetes, depression, mm -hmm. suicide attempts, STDs, heart disease, cancer, stroke, COPD and broken bones. And so what they're basically saying is that these things that happen to us, even subconsciously as children, end up having real harmful physical manifestations in our adult lives. And when I figured this out and I took the test, you know, I am somebody who comes from a place where people would never even think I would have, you know, one or two of these. I think I was at like a four or five. Mm -hmm. And I, and I was shocked, you know, and I understood some of these things that have happened to me, the physical manifestations that seem unnatural to me are actually very much coming from my childhood. So I guess my question is, I have noticed since working with my ACEs and understanding why they happened and how they happened and how I reacted to them subconsciously and then meant, you know, physically later, um, that actually it's helped me not, not continue to have those problems. And I've actually seen a, a positive out, mm. outcome in it, which I know that we talked before and you said, you know, it's not really something that's being measured necessarily, but I think, you know, accepting that this has happened to you, it can be very empowering in a way. Well, how are you guys seeing it in the communities that you're using these tools? It's definitely empowering. It's definitely healing. And Nadine Burke Harris wrote a, a great book called The Deepest Well about her experience uh, implementing ACEs screening in a pediatric clinic, medical clinic in San Francisco. Mm. And she was then a few years later after publishing this book appointed as California's very first surgeon general. So she's our wow. current surgeon general. Yeah. And so they now in the state of California, um, doctors can be reimbursed by, um, um, medic, medical, uh, which is our, our version of Medicaid for, for doing the ACEs questionnaire. And so, uh, Man, that's there's awesome. a whole lot, yeah, wow. <laughs> there's a whole lot. people have different opinions, right? That you can't just screen without providing resources, but kind of Nadine Burke Harris's view is that it's empowering to have someone finally say the reason you may be having some of these issues is, is related to your childhood. I think that's really empowering for people to finally think, um, okay, it's, it's not my fault. You know, everything that's, that's kind of quote wrong with me, um, there's a reason for it. And that's certainly how I personally felt when I first, um, started to learn more about trauma and, and ACEs, um, because I had struggled with hard drug addiction in, in my teenage years and really had like kind of carried this weight around that there's something wrong with me. I was a bad person. This, this is the messaging that we get in mainstream America. And mm -hmm. so when I finally, you know, realized like, well, no, it's kind of because this, this, and this, um, a lot of which I think are sort of a, a cultural factors that create the conditions for, for high trauma here. And, um, 
it, then it was a huge weight off. I think even just knowing felt better. Does that yeah, I agree. Too? The knowing, yeah. the knowing really affected me. Yeah. Cause I thought, you know, these are things that, you know, our home lives, our family lives are supposed to be our, you know, they're our safe spaces. Um, and, and for so, millions of people, it's not, it's not even a little bit of a safe space. And, um, the correlation between physical, you know, issues and manifestations that, um, make our life painful in every direction coming from the result of not having these, um, you know, safe spaces as children, um, it, it makes me very sad. And, and I'm, I'm very happy that they're implementing this into, you know, medicine and, I'm happy people are listening to the scientific research. And I agree with you, you know, when you're in the doctor's office and they run, walk through these questions, you're like, no one's ever asked me if, if like, you know, anyone in my, mm -hmm. either of my parents were in jail, you know, when I was a kid, you know, yeah. or, and no one asked me if anyone ever hit my mom, you know, or mm -hmm. ever tried to mm -hmm. hurt me, you know, no one ever asked me that when it comes to my physical health exams. Mm -hmm. So I think slowly we're realizing that the mental and the physical really go together. It's um, so slow. Why does it have to be this slow? <laughs> I know. It's like every, it's funny, like every industry I talk to, there's like this, you know, we're like trying to push through this barrier where we can just get in, get important information to the most amount of people as quickly and efficiently as possible to ha have it help them. Mm -hmm. I mean, obesity is a huge issue in this country. We've got 40% of the country overweight and then another 30% obese or vice versa. I don't know the exact numbers, but 70% of our population in the U S is, is in trouble with their weight, you know? And, mm, and I think a lot, a lot of people are, yeah, we're eating our emotions, you know, and we're, mm -hmm. and we're, we're not taught how to be quiet and still with ourselves and like really observe our feelings, which is why I love seeing meditation taught in schools. Mm -hmm. Um, but so I'm curious about your story. Would you mind sharing a little bit about your story, you know, and like how you kind of have taken something that was rough in your life and now it's become your like mission. I love that. Um, yeah, well, it's interesting because um, I feel pretty lucky and unique in that I'm someone who talks really openly with both of my parents about my ECE mm. score and we talk about childhood trauma um, pretty openly and just, and other, you know, other traumatic events as they can continue to happen throughout yeah. our lives. Mm -hmm. Um, and so my mom asked me, uh, a couple months ago, you know, if there was anything that, that she would have done differently, um, as a parent when I was a kid and it was, a, a, it's a really great question. And that's a hard you know, question to have <laughs> a, ask your kid, you know, like, oh, okay. So sorry. I had to be yeah. like, thinking about my mom asking me that, that'll never happen. <laughs> I know a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people ha wish they could have that, those conversations. I, I don't know, you know, my parents have always been the types of people who go to therapy and try to read books and learn and, and things like that. And I just, I just let her know that I really think that um, there are these bigger societal issues that create trauma and she was really doing our best. And I, I still feel like we're, we're still feeling some of the effects of like the eighties and nineties was like this moment where it was almost like the blame parent movement. Totally. Uh, and, and if you, yeah. If you read a lot of books from those um, 
time periods like books by Alice Miller, that which I love her book, The Drama of the Gifted Child, but she rails on her parents, all parents. <laughs> and um, it's so interesting because um, I think that that's like a greater belief in like free will than I maybe believe that there is. I think that we're sort of conditioned and programmed to, you know, act the way that we do. And, mm-hmm. you know, so for one thing, uh, you know, my parents are from Montana. They, they were socialized to have start a family very young. So, you know, a lot of the trauma that I may have experienced in childhood related to emotional neglect was probably just a result of my parents having gotten married and started a family very young. And so you kind of look at the, the conditions while well, they're in a, they're in a state that has a younger uh, average for parent age, you know? So, you know, that, those are the kinds of things that I think it's really important to talk about when you talk to your parents about these, because then we can work together to fix these issues. Like we can actually say, okay, what needs to happen? Oh, um, better sex education in schools or better family planning resources. Um, uh, you know, because if you just blame parents, then the real problems and issues never get fixed. I agree so much with this. You know, when sometimes, you know, I'll be having a conversation with my mom and she's like, it's all my fault. Just blame it all on me. It's fine. You know, like your life isn't what you want because of me, you know, but the reality is that our, you know, when I started talking to her about ACEs, Mm -hmm. we had talked about this before. It was like, well, mom, how many of these did you have? You know? Yeah. And then they're kind of more willing to have a conversation about it once they know what, that they're affected by their, by their, not to their parents, but their home life, their homes, their childhood, their, their Mm -hmm. upbringing. Cause it doesn't have to necessarily be just in your home with these things, you know, it, most of it is obviously, but, um, you know, I had horrible things to me happen in school that felt, you know, very parallel to things that were happening within my family. And I would actually absolutely count them towards my, my aces. And, um, I also read something really interesting because I've been working on this book and, and it said, you know, um, healing your trauma, um, oversharing can be a symptom of, um, someone who's traumatized Mm -hmm. and you have this like major guilt when you're kind of telling people your whole life story and then they, they don't necessarily give you, you know, um, compassion or, or help you get through it. They just kind of like, look at you like you're crazy. Yeah. And that can be further traumatizing. Right. So it's like, you have to pick who you're, who you're going to talk to about this, which is why I'm happy it's going into, you know, therapy and, and community. Um, outreach and efforts. I think you, I think you're right. I think it takes like work to take off the layers of conditioning and our aces Mm -hmm. and, um, our first few jobs and the first few Mm -hmm. mentors we had that maybe weren't great mentors or, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever it is we, I do agree with you on some level that we have free will, but Mm. I do think it takes a lot of work. I mean, like years of being willing to sit down and, and really look at yourself and reach out to these, you know, like Earl Nightingale, The Strangest Secret in the Universe, and like, you're a badass, like, you know, reading all these self-help and really out outperforming yourself and like expanding your belief systems about who you are, um, mm-hmm. because we, we become so subscribed to these like things that we don't even realize we subscribe to on a subconscious level. Um, and then- Oh, definitely. And we have these problems, you know? Well, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm a big proponent too in deprogramming what we learned about American history. Mm-hmm. So part yeah, of the trauma, my, yeah, part of the trauma, my family is related to my grandfather growing up on a 
reservation in Wyoming. And, you know, when you look at the way that um, American Indians or Native Americans have been treated and the, the historical legacy of trauma and violence is that, you know, all Americans, we have blood on our hands. And I think that to me, that's sort of the original gaslighting in our culture is look away. No, this isn't hurting anyone. We're not doing anything bad. Let's just pretend like we're not um, slaughtering Native Americans. Let's pretend like we're not enslaving African people. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. that's the original reason why none of us as Americans, truly, it's none of us uh, are very good at feeling feelings is because if from the moment we start to learn American history, we're being gaslit. You know, we're being told that, um, oh, it's it's not that bad about the enslavement. Um, you know, they, they right. did the best I to get take it. care of them. And, you know, it was, it was, the Civil War was fought over states' rights. It's like this, this really toned down version um, that denies the natural emotions that would naturally right. come up about enslaving or slaughtering a whole group of, of people. Oh my gosh, that's such a good point. You know, when we're taught these things in school, it's just like, so then we killed 16 million people, the American revolutionaries. <laughs> and, that, you know, yeah. you're like, wait, what? Did, it, did yeah. the teacher just talk about like genocide? Like it was like yeah. no big deal. So I totally agree with that. You know, for people who may be listening um, who haven't heard the term gaslighting, Mm-hmm. Um, I, I also think that looking up the four horsemen, you know, for relationships, mm-hmm. I, you know, that's very, and a very important thing to understand yeah. uh, if your parents or, you know, current intimate partners are, you, you know, what is it? Contempt. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, is gas- gas- gaslighting one, one of the four ho- I love I love those I okay. love those I'm gonna put them in the the like s- description of this but that along with aces has really helped me understand um a lot about why it's so important to have a safe place for communication established with the people that you're talking to about your yeah. trauma yeah. because you need to be able to say things and not have them used against you you need to be able to tell tell people anything and have them be willing to go and have a reaction emotionally elsewhere and then come back and, and help you get through it and, and work on it together. We also had a, a section on here with Chantal Chapman, who has a company called the trauma of money, but essentially it's really this thing about how your past traumas affect your ability to function, not mm-hmm. just with your money, but you know, with everything. And so mm-hmm. that's also another thing. And she talks about the pillars of trauma. Like you said, societal, you mm-hmm. know, we have inherited societal, there's all sorts of traumas. Um, yeah. but I think it's important to know where you place on the, the ACEs test, um, so that you can really start really kind of connecting the dots to like, Oh, I actually, did drugs because of this thing, I Mm -hmm. think. And like this thing was because I wasn't taking care of my body because I didn't have this sense of self-worth because of physical abuse or or witnessing physical abuse. And, and so I think doing that, it's a, it's a journey forever. I feel like, right. But, Mm -hmm. but it's, it is something that once you acknowledge it, it does start getting better. Um, but, but how can you tell us more about like that, I guess, or even about like how the communities start working with this? Like when ACEs gets implemented into a community, you know, mm-hmm. how, what are they seeing happen in those communities? Um, yeah, that's a great question. Um, let me see if I've got a good example. Um, yeah, there's this program. Um, 
Oh, I, I, I'm not going to remember the, the exact, or it'll come to me, but there's a program where, um, in, I think it started in West Virginia, if I'm not mistaken, but I'm familiar with it in Massachusetts because I manage communities in Massachusetts, um, for my work at ACES Connection, where in Plymouth County, the, uh, um, police, um, if they visit a home that has children in it, the school gets notified the next day, oh, handle with care. I was, I'm always like, whenever I start to explain it, the name is actually very <laughs> intuitive, but I just can never remember it, handle with care. Um, so that, and they don't, the, the school doesn't get the reason the police visited, but the, the understanding is that even just having a police officer visit can, can be traumatic, um, let alone whatever they were called there for, which could be a domestic violence call, um, you know, or any number of things. Right. So that the next day that the teacher knows to handle that student with care. I sort of hope that we would always handle students with care. Like wow. we would always assume that, um, that well, we would be gentle with students who are acting up because there's a reason, but that's a great example of two separate things, separate departments working together. You know, I don't think it's, it's, it, I think definitely when you're in a room with 25 to 40 kids, which yeah. school classes have these days, and you, you've been working with these kids every day in and out, these teachers are underpaid, they're undervalued, now they have COVID to deal with. Oh, yeah. You know, I, this is, being a teacher is really a hard job. And um, I think actually they do need to be told that there was a police officer at this kid's house and then they give them more compassion. I would hope that everyone would get compassion. And generally it's those kids who are lashing out that are having those things at home. You know, you hope yeah. teachers know that. Yeah. Um, I have a friend who I'm trying to come bring on the podcast. She's also in public health. Mm -hmm. She handles um, childhood deaths in Michigan. Mm -hmm. And um, she said, you know, it's a huge, childhood deaths are, is a huge problem in Michigan. Mm -hmm. Um, what happens mm -hmm. is that they, you know, they get two strikes at school and then they're, they're sent home to, you know, they get suspended or expelled. These teach these parents don't care. They're already abusing these kids. Yeah. And then the kids die at home because mm -hmm. they, they, the school system completely fails them. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's so sad. Um, mm -hmm. and I think this ACEs can really change that, you know, if, if in, every other grade you're, you know, every year the kids have to kind of fill this out, you know, I think it could actually change the way that we treat our children publicly mm -hmm. when we know how many of them are dealing with so much trauma at home. Mm -hmm. um, but I love the idea of two depart, two kind of systems working together. I think that that is great. I think the sooner we do that with everything, it's going to be better. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm, so I'm waiting. Not overlapped. Yeah, I'm really waiting for for a whole trauma informed society. But I'm not just waiting. I'm I'm creating it, you know. Yeah, so, you are. <laughs> You're part of the solution. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what I that's what I'm working towards. That's what I should say is a whole trauma informed society where every sector, I mean not just public sectors, private sectors too, you know, if corporations are trauma-informed, they can um, care a little bit more, maybe a lot more about how their employees feel. Or, you know, for, to me, um, there's a couple good examples of like, um, of corporate workplaces in here in uh, California that provide on-site daycare for parents. So one of them is PG&E. I have two good friends with a toddler and they 
go to work. They just take their kid to work and he's just right there. So if he's having a moment, they need to come down, check on him. It, it's all right there. And then I know Patagonia is another one that has um, uh, daycare just right there on site. And these are the kinds of workplaces that we need because we need a better understanding that children need their parents in, in childhood. And our whole society needs to understand the science of why that's important. And then create the systems that support families and children who grow up to be adults. It's, it, it, it really is so confusing to me how we treat children and childhood and families in this country. It's like they don't matter and the only thing that matters is profit. And it's just like, well, we're gonna have a really crappy society that way. Totally. I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with the companies. You know, companies don't have, like Patagonia is a B Corp and I talk about B Corps a lot on this mm -hmm. um, podcast because, you know, B, B, B Corps, benefit corporations, if you go through the certification process to be a B Corp, it means that your executives are going to be capped at a certain level and can't make $15 million a year, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. no one really should. I mean, mm -hmm. I, maybe they should. I, who am I to say that they should or shouldn't? But <laughs> I don't do think I, they should. Do I want to buy stock in a company that, um, doesn't do, mm -hmm. cap their executives and just allows, you know, the money to not go into the employees and to fixing whatever environmental issues that their business causes, uh, you know, and then they have environmental concerns. And so I think, you know, when they got rid of the pension and they went over to the 401ks, I think mm -hmm. there was this loss of like taking care of your employees kind of a thing, yeah. which in turn changed the loyalty of the person working to the company. And mm -hmm. now I think we're kind of coming full circle and companies are like, all right, we're going to value life events, children, marriage, you know, whatever mm -hmm. it is that you're trying to accomplish. Um, and then we're going to, we're going to also make your life easier by having those services right here. And, and then people actually are loyal to those companies. I think it's a lot, a good strategy because companies put so much money into their employees. It's a big decision to hire someone. Mm -hmm. So why not make their experience one where they feel like they're part of a family? It's shocking to me that big companies don't. It's, it's shocking. <laughs> But I think it's a yeah. lot to handle. I, we had a girl on here, um, this amazing woman, um, mm -hmm. Anahita, and she was the chief mindfulness officer for a, a big company. And um, mm -hmm. it's an, a role I think a lot of companies should kind of have because, I mean, it's one thing to say we don't treat our children right, but like we also don't treat our adults right. So, mm -hmm. so if we make the people working at, the, our, at our businesses in this country, you know, s struggle, then in turn their kids struggle and it just creates more drama at home. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> Everything needs to change. All of it, <laughs> all the systems. Well, I, I also think, so, you know, I think a lot of people think, okay, well, adverse childhood experiences, that's for people in impoverished areas or, you know, places that are hard run. But the reality is, you know, I'm from a middle upper class family. I had four or five of these. And um, I think that a lot of people in, you know, middle and upper class can be ha get having high at A scores as well. And the important thing for us to understand is that now, like you said, the scientific research of major physical manifestations in your adult life are very clearly connected to these situations. So that's, that's like really where it's like, if we don't start listening to this science and start also changing our family life and the way that we empower people in this country, it's just going to, it's just going to snowball because we already have so many issues mm -hmm. collectively. Yeah. I think we're seeing, I think we're seeing the impacts of that snowball right now. <laughs> so, we're right in the middle of that snowball. We're I think. right in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah.
<laughs> I think also it's really important. I'm one of those people that, you know, my friends and, and colleagues and, you know, even new people that I'm speaking to, they do call on me. And because I'm always going to be like, you're amazing. <laughs> like I'm the positive, like reinforcer, you know, I'll tell you all the things that are great about you. I'm all about, um, giving, telling people what their strengths are instead of like harping on things that they're not great at. And, um, and -hmm, like mm -hmm. in this moment, I think we really need to pay attention to doing things with our time that we really value. My question for you is what advice would you give someone who maybe stumbles upon ACEs either through this or through some other way and then finds us, um, who would maybe want to go about having a career in this industry? Um, I think there's a whole bunch of ways to have an impact in this industry. I, I mean, to me, any, any sector can be trauma informed. So let's say you just want to have a regular corporate career. You can go to HR and ask them and show them the science, which makes it so clear and say, Hey, can we um, do an ACEs training and bring in a, a consultant to do an ACEs training here at work? And that's, you know, so like, it really doesn't matter where you work. You can make an impact to change where you work. Um, you can make an impact at home, you know, in your family. But if you are wanting to work um, directly with ACEs science, then, you know, there's, there's so many avenues. Public health, which is what I did. Um, you can, uh, I mean, you can go into medical research. You could, you could do the research. Um, I, I mean, there's even room to do things like economic research, right? Because uh, by doing preventative care, we save a lot of money over time with health mm -hmm. healthcare costs in the United States. So there's a lot of room for research in a lot of different fields, you know, law, policy, um, law and policy is, you know, you could go into that field and make a huge big difference that way. Um, so I, I often think that going into law and policy, you know, is possible to make really big change because you can work on a state level or a national level um, to move things forward in a big way. But you can also go into media. You know, I'm seeing more and more films on the subject. You know, one film that we promote a lot um, through a series that I produce at work is for the film Cracked Up by film director Michelle Esrick. And it's about uh, Saturday Night Live actor Daryl Hammond and his waking up to his own trauma, childhood trauma, and why that was causing his substance misuse and his his kind of bipolar and schizophrenia. It's a beautiful film. So literally any field, um, any field, right? So this is how someone who's a filmmaker who made a huge impact. I mean, even also just like sharing it on your social media and like seeing if you can have dialogue with people about it, if it's something people in your network need to like hear. Mm -hmm. um, I think just starting the conversation and seeing like where you're the most passionate about it. You're really right about the economic um, effects. I've written about this a couple of times with racial equity and uh, gender inclusion and, um, and all of this. But I, you know, when people aren't worried aren't battling their demons, they're a lot more effective with their missions yeah. and they're, they're, they're educating themselves and their, you know, self-care and self-love. So, yeah, I mean, I would say the first step is really for everyone to just understand where you're at with this and then understand how many people are over that high score of this mm -hmm. um, in your own network. It definitely wakens up compassion big time. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. that's a huge personal benefit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You can stop being so hard on yourself and others, you know, when you understand what, people, like you said, like the demons 
that we're all wrestling with. You know, that is such a good way to put it because I really felt I'm, I've always been very hard on myself. And honestly, in the last year of we're kind of working with aces, I've really like lightened up. A lot of people would be laughing at this right now, but I've lightened up a lot for me um, in the sense that, yeah, you know, it's like, you're like, wow, I have a long way to go still, but I'm definitely more compassionate with myself. You know, I, I'm not hard on myself if I mess up, whereas I think everyone that's seen me with my time on TV mm -hmm. um, saw how hard I was on myself. You know, I really uh, got down on myself when I didn't do good and, mm -hmm. but, but it, it, it it's, it's a motivator. It's made me do amazing things with my life, but mm -hmm. it can also be debilitating. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, we do talk about, you know, progress versus perfection on this a lot, but mm -hmm. I think even perfectionism could probably be in one of those manifestations of this, um, because you can't control your family life. So you over control everything in your personal life and your own life. Um, so I think there's even, there's, I think when you start thinking about this stuff, you're like, Oh, yeah, this like actually really makes a lot of sense. Um, it can be very liberating and it definitely has woken up compassion for myself and for other people since yeah. I've learned about it. Yeah. That's, so it's just a, a really beautiful benefit of it. And uh, then the patience part, because someone could still uh, trigger anger or frustration or, you know, but then it's sort of like, oh yeah, but remember like they have trauma and then practicing that patience and just mm -hmm. being like, okay, well, I'm not going to react to their, their moment, you know, that's triggering this anger with me. That's just like a constant practice. I have to <laughs> like step away from my workstation, like several times a day, to, like meditate or go for a walk. And, you know, <laughs> well, you know what I posted on my IG this week was, mm -hmm. Um, what, what was it? It was something like, uh, something along the lines of like, before you react to somebody, mm -hmm. um, understand that you're reacting to them is you like shaking their karmic hand to engage in an energy interaction mm -hmm. and connecting your energy to that person. So before you en engage with somebody, understand that your choice to engage with them is exactly that. And it should you engage with them, you are now connecting your energy, which could have an impact on your, you know, this, the way you vibe and the way that you carry yourself through the rest of the day or the month or the year. And so you have to be very careful with your reactions and who you bond with energetically. Mm -hmm. And I think as people move into a higher vibration away from their aces and more into you know, all their future potential that they're going to fulfill now that they don't have this other stuff weighing them down. I think you start vibrating on a different frequency and attracting people on a higher level. Yeah, I agree. I mean, yeah, I was just talking to a coworker this morning about that, that um, we all have like our particular people who trigger us, um, you know, like kind of make us regress trigger some sort of wound from childhood, but it's not the same for every person. So there might be someone that I work really well with at work, but someone that my coworker just absolutely, every time they have to interact with them, they, they feel like a child, they feel helpless. And, um, that's how I know that it's truly never that other person's fault. It's, it's always the way that we're seeing and the way you right, is that I could like that coworker could say, Oh, this person is terrible. 
but because that person doesn't trigger me, it only triggers my coworker that we know that person's not terrible, that, right? We know that it's the way we're seeing them and what we're bringing to our interaction. Yeah. So um, that's really, really important to remember. So like if someone's really setting us off, you know, like, oh, I can't work with them. Every time I talk to them, I feel this pit in my stomach um, that we know that there's a wound there. And it's, I mean, that's our, our um, cue to journey inward and find that littler version of us that feels afraid and um, figure out what that is and what we may have needed at the time and then offer ourselves that. I love that. That's so true. I I think the, I think that, yeah, the difficult people are revealing something to us about ourselves. Like when somebody upsets us, it's something about us that we actually don't manage that we haven't, like, it's like, let's say I'm super girly and really optimistic. And my friend who's more pessimistic and (laughs) a little more tomboyish, she's always irritated by me. And I think it's because she knows that there's some part of her that identifies with that or that she won't accept that part of herself and it, it triggers her. And it's funny being friends with someone that you know you trigger just by your essence, you know, because you're like, oh, this is fascinating. <laughs> difficult people are actually our lesson, you know? That, that is exactly right. It's, that's a cue for us to get, get really silent and understand where, where is it coming from. And the more you tap into that, the stronger your gut gets because you're like, oh, now I know myself pretty completely at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it's, it's hard. It's not easy. It's not easy to remember that our (laughs) triggers are our teachers. (laughs) I, I think what you're doing is so incredible and I'm really excited uh, to just have a little bit of extended information for people here on this podcast. I think mm-hmm. hopefully everyone who's listening will um, get their score and, and understand when they're dealing with difficult people or difficult moments that a lot of it could have to do with these ACEs that we all kind of have on some level. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I did do this test with about five people in a room like a few months ago mm-hmm. and only one of the people in the room had under a two. Really? And we were all like, you know, middle to upper class families, totally. you know, totally. so, and only, only one had under a two. Wow. Wow. So, and, and so it, it was shocking, you know, and cause I was talking about this, about how important have, it is to have a safe space for communication, which I later failed on in a few. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. We're allowed to fail. Yeah. Failure is good. You know, you learn, but I also think you, in this process, you also learn what you're willing to put up with. And I've also learned it's good to, you know, in for relationships, whether they're intimate or, or building new friendships or family, you, you're allowed to have like a three strike policy. Like you don't need to continue to give safe space for communication to people who, um, don't align with the way you're trying to live your life. And you have to like give yourself that freedom. But I I will say we were all kind of like blown away that, um, you know, only two people had, had, had well, only one person had under two and the other person had two and everyone else was like three, four, five, six. Like wow. it, was, it was pretty crazy. And it's interesting. It's, I think when you open up the conversation to, with people you trust to talk about these things in a group, it can be very therapeutic. I, I, does your community have anything like that just for doing like social interactions among adults? Hmm. I do. Let's have an aces party. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, you bring up really good points about like what even is a safe space and you know how to hold that and to keep that in mind. You know, like um, Brené Brown talks about that a lot, like with her marble theory. I think she's like trying to yeah. teach her child, like how do you know how much to share and when, and um, and it's sort of like you kind of have to trade trust a little bit. So every time you're your friend shows up for you that's a marble and then you can be vulnerable but it has to always right oh, yeah like, and then you take two marbles back if they do something bad or something. yeah 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 and yeah I, I loved that actually yeah. I loved that yeah me too I actually said we need to get marbles in this house <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly so um uh you know like I do think it's important to talk about aces um and I'm pretty open and vulnerable with people and I try to speak directly, but um, like I also have a rule that, you know, I don't throw on other people under the bus. So the thing about ACEs is that they also involve people that I love very much, like my parents. So, you know, I think that that, um, it depends on the space, you know? I don't, I don't like to just, um, uh, I don't know, engage in violent speaking. I guess. Totally. I agree with you completely, by the way. <laughs> the people but, that I was in a room with were all people I were, I consider like friends. Yeah. Friend yeah. Family, which is why I said earlier, like I, you gotta be very, what, what's the quote? Totally. Be vicious, malicious, like whatever, like be insane about how you pick your friends and then hold on for dear, <laughs> dear life. But like you need to be a little meticulous with the people you let in because whoever you're surrounding yourself with is essentially who you are you know so those, yeah. those thought processes really are contagious that those people have so pay attention yeah. to who's making you feel good and who's not i agree and um I i have like a women's Facebook group that I uh, lead on, you know, it's, I don't know, I think there's like 200 women. And I said, you know, who wants to join an even smaller, more private group um, where we just talk about sexual trauma. And then, you know, that group out of the 200 women who are in my larger group, um, I think there's about five of us in the smaller group. Wow, so there amazing. are, yeah, there are ways to set up little sub communities, you know, where, there's consent. Like, this is the kind of stuff I'm going to share. And so if you're going to be in this group, this is what we talk about, you know, cause like, like you said, there's oversharing and not everyone right. wants to hear about, um, sexual trauma. Like that would not be appropriate for the larger group, you know, but for the smaller group with these agreements, like these really solid agreements, like this is what, this is what we can talk about here. And, um, the confidentiality then yeah you know so i think it's i think it's important to talk openly with people for sure and then just kind of trying to gauge who's the right person can be really hard for people with high ace scores <laughs> right i mean that's the other thing i but i do love that sub community strategy that's a really good idea yeah I, I think it's good to have all your women or especially men i think men need uh, these groups right. I think more than women uh, sometimes, but I yeah, think, you know, I, every guy I talk to, I'm like, you got to set up a group with all your guys, you know, and, and be talking to each other. Cause men just don't share their emotions or, you know, it's very, I feel I like know. American men are, are very 
solo in a lot of their life experiences and it's, it's not fair. Um, and, but I love that, that idea of saying, okay, you know, we're going to sub, we're going to section off into these groups that are safe to talk about what we've, what we've been through, um, on in different ACEs kind of categories. I think that's super smart. I love mm-hmm. the idea of inspiring young, um, people who may be journeying out on their careers to really look at like research scientific research around the trauma space. I think that there's so many studies that need to be done still. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's so many things. And, you know, research is, is a great lifestyle, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of young women, especially don't even think about science and research and, and, and economic um, analyzing for professions. And I think that it's something that can give you a really nice long career where you feel valued and you are contributing in some way. So I, I do urge people to kind of, especially women around 15, 16, 17, apparently if one of the parents is not in math or science um, jobs, they, they generally lose interest in that in those industries. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. unfortunately those are the industries that have jobs and that provide jobs for lifelong, you know, mm-hmm. you, can, you can be a research scientist at a university and you can write grants for the rest of your life and just, do research. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that, that that's an amazing career. Mm -hmm. So I'm so, I'm so fascinated with what you're doing and I love that you're doing this. And I just want to, I want to, I want you to be a voice through our group because I think that, um, this is a really important thing. Um, is there, do you have any advice for people kind of starting out in their young professional lives who may have higher A scores than others? Therapy. (laughs) go get therapy (laughs) as much and also find a good therapist like it sometimes takes three four or five times to find the right therapist I agree the the problem with therapy is you go once it takes all your energy to get in the door once you're like I don't like I'm not going to tell this guy all my secrets yeah (laughs) it's true yeah I do always recommend interview a couple like you're interviewing them you know like they're the ones that get to have your money so interview them and find one that you like and that you feel comfortable with yeah but I understand it's intimidating you know, for me, like my parents, um, started to going to therapy when I was like seven. So I always saw that modeled for me. So when I, um, realized that I had a problem with substance misuse disorder, I immediately thought, Oh, I, I need to get help. And it was so automatic because I saw my parents get help when they needed it. But for a lot of families they you didn't grow up with parents who got therapy. So it's like, it's like, someone telling you that you need to learn how to be an astronaut by tomorrow and go fly to the moon. Like it just totally. doesn't, none of it makes sense. So I would let's just, be honest. A lot of boomers are not therapy. St- they drink their problems away. You know? Oh yeah. That's very they common. Don't, they don't yeah. care. <laughs> They're like, I'm not telling, I don't need to deal with my childhood trauma. I made it here. I'm just going to enjoy my life. You know, so, um, if you have boomers for parents, you're, you, I'm, yes. it's very rare to have like boomer parents who are like, I'm going to therapy today. You're like, okay. Um, so that's true. It's a very good point. Yeah. So, but even just like Googling, like how to find a good therapist is such a great way to start because, um, I, you know, I put a guide out there and like lots of other people have like, um, just whatever you need to know and you don't know how to do it. There is a resource on the internet that's going to tell you how to do it. But psychology today is the best place to find a therapist and they make it pretty easy Um, I would say like, even if it feels scary or unknown, just stumble your way through it. Like a therapist is going to be the most compassionate person if you don't know what you're doing. Also, if you haven't visited your insurance's website or teledoc services through COVID yet, 
oftentimes there's a behavioral therapy for teledocs. So you could also just try to get mm-hmm. one through that. I think most yep. insurance companies need to have that mental health um, yeah. up there. I think uh, the few times I've had really tough moments, I've, my parents put me in therapy pretty young because I used to have really bad dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, they, didn't, they realized I was lactose intolerant and that's why I was mm-hmm. having nightmares. But mm-hmm. um, until then, I had been in therapy because I had these very graphic, horrible uh, dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've always been someone who kind of like goes to therapy when I'm like, I need help. Um, mm-hmm. Even though my, like my, I don't think anyone in my family goes to therapy, but I think that it's, you know, it's something I do ask a lot of people often, like, have you used therapy? Like, are you trying? Um, but I also think that there's, I, I agree, like just talking about it is so important. Sometimes there's a lot of power in releasing it, but I would urge people so much of social media is just like this overshare right now. I think it can further trauma us. So I do think just to kind of reiterate for like the third time, just like be very conscious about who you want to express yourself to and that there is an advantage to using a like licensed medical healthcare provider for that. Because when you go to your friends, which a lot of people do come to me for their problems, I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm giving you information, but mind you, I've never been married. I don't have kids. I don't know why you're coming to me for relationship advice, <laughs> but I, you know, I'm not, probably the worst relationship advocate for you, but I think <laughs> somehow I've done wonderful things with my life, but I, I'm not really the relationship expert. So I, I think definitely when it comes to careers, right. I, I hope to become more of an expert through talking to people like you and helping people get access to resources. Yeah. given us a bunch of good recommendations, but did, were there any other like book recommendations or movies or anything that you wanted to additionally recommend? Um, sure. Yeah. I, um, you know, a lot of people read The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk, um, mm-hmm. which is a great book, but I often like the feminist in me wants to lift up other women. And so I really love a book by his colleague who's um, Judith Herman. She wrote a book called Trauma and Recovery that is so, so, so good. And, um, that not a lot of people know about his book sort of got more attention, but trauma okay. and recovery by Judith Herman. Um, and again, the, the deepest that. well by Nadine Burke Harris to me is a must read. And the other one I mentioned was, uh, the drama of the gifted child, hmm. uh, by Alice Miller. And so those would be my book recommendations, a good place to start. I you know, I do have one other one that I think is, is really good. Um, it's called Running on Empty, and it's about childhood emotional neglect, which I think is the most underreported um, ace on, out of the 10 aces because you often don't realize that there was this other thing that you could have been getting, which was emotional nurturance, because if you didn't get it, you don't even know what it was that you didn't get. And so- um, You mean television was not supposed to be taking care of me for 15 years <laughs> in know. the 80s and 90s? I know, I hear you. <laughs> What are you talking about? Yeah, I know. Yeah, this is something yeah. I explore a lot, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, so, mm-hmm. I think I have like one of the best moms in the world, but I think that whole 80s category oh, with oh. television was such an easy solution to like mm-hmm. hiring a nanny. So, yep. yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, I hardly ever saw my parents like 
after school. So like, I don't, I guess, yeah, I don't know what I did. Um, <laughs> we watched television <laughs> like, and we played with American yeah. girl dolls. <laughs> oh, that is what I did. Um, <laughs> you like dressed them, took them on trips around um, the house. <laughs> I know. I feel like I was bored a lot. I, I have a lot of memories of just staring at a wall. Um, oh <laughs> I lived, I lived, I had, we had like, like, we had like a big yard so I, and a forest and a lake. So I was staring at like the water and the trees a lot, but I, I did a lot of staring too, actually. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of staring in my childhood. Um, but that book is called Running on Empty and it's by Jonas Webb and she's a psychologist. And nice. her uh, writings on childhood emotional neglect are brilliant and very healing. Amazing. So... I guess my last question is just, is there anything else that you want to add on this topic? If there was like one thing for ACEs that you think could happen, like a magical blessing, what would you want to see with the ACEs connections? I just, well, I would just say that on a more individual level to anyone who might be listening, my uh, magical wish would be if, if everyone would take their own healing very seriously because the greatest gift that we can offer the world and to a better society is to have healed our own trauma and our own wounds. Because the less reactive we are as people, um, the more peace there will be. And, you know, it's a ripple out effect. You know, once we actually learn where our anger stems from and where our rage stems from, we make peace with it. There can't be war. There can't, there can't be inequality. So um, we just won't, we won't, we won't have space for that anymore. We won't see the world as scarcity and um, I need, I need this for me. There's not enough for you. That just, it just will all melt away. So we really need to take our own inner peace and inner healing very seriously. That is so beautiful. I love that. And not to like, like double down on what you just said, but I just read this thing today that the Pope said, (laughs) basically like the Pope puts out these, I forget what the the name of it is, but basically they write like two, three, four of these like um, documents in their life. And they Mm -hmm. basically are what all the other popes that come after them and people that are like following them read. And he basically just went on to be like, um, we are one family, you know, and Mm -hmm. we cannot, we don't, we don't, this is an opportunity for us to wake up and to be connected Mm -hmm. and not to be so economically driven that we kill our species <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and not, you know, not so dull, dull down and dumbed down that we don't feel for our brothers and our neighbors and strangers. Um, yeah. He's a very wise Pope. <laughs> he's, he's amazing. Honestly, he's, he's been a great Pope. And I mean, whether you're religious or not, he's been very, uh, he's just been uh, very human. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and very honest about um, how he, he believes that the world is going to get better and, and less of the strict rules and more of the compassion and, and humanizing our brothers and sisters. And I think ACEs does help that. You know, once you read this, you think, wow, people went through that. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, I went through that. You know, you know, you start looking at people a lot different. So, oh my gosh, thank you so much for your time and all of your insights. I hope that we can have you on again and talk about the progress and the future and, and sure. what you're up to. Um, I really appreciate your Thanks time. Thanks so much for having me on.
Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me on. And, um, you know, thanks for promoting ACE of science and healing. Um, you know, I hope that this reaches more people as a result of, of your work. So thank you for this amazing work that you're doing. Together, we're going to heal this planet. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like <Great>. a plan. <laughs>going to now read you the adverse childhood experience survey or test and you should take note of how many of these you've experienced you can write on a piece of paper a uh, a yes or a check mark for each one that you have or you can even count on your fingers every time that one sounds familiar to you um, at the end the amount of yeses that you have is your score like Allison said a score of eight or more really has you in a dangerous position and this is something that you should seek um, counseling for or additional resources. Really anyone with a score over over two or three should, should really consider um, that these could be manifesting themselves in a physical way in your adult life and it, this might make a lot of sense for you now. So hopefully having this information will help. We're going to begin now. Question number one. Did a parent or other adult in the household often or very often swear at you, insult you, put you down, or humiliate you, or act in a way that made you afraid that you might be physically hurt? 2. Did a parent or other adult in the household often or very often push, grab, slap, or throw something at you, or ever hit you so hard that you had marks or were injured? 3. Did an adult or person at least five years older than you ever touch or fondle you or have you touch their body in a sexual way or attempt or actually have oral, anal, or vaginal intercourse with you? Four, did you often or very often feel that no one in your family loved you or thought you were important or special or your family didn't look out for each other, feel close to each other, or support each other? Five, did you often or very often feel that you didn't have enough to eat, had to wear dirty clothes, or had no one to protect you, or your parents were too drunk or high to take care of you or take you to the doctor if you needed? 6. Were your parents ever separated or divorced? 7. Was your mother or stepmother often or very often pushed, grabbed, slapped, or had something thrown at her, or sometimes often or very often kicked, bit, hit or with a fist, or hit with something very hard, or ever repeatedly hit, least for a few minutes or threatened with a gun or a knife. Eight, did you live with anyone who was a problem drinker or alcoholic or who used street drugs? Nine, was a household member depressed or mentally ill or did a household member attempt suicide? And 10, did a household member go to prison? You can find this test on my on the description in my website, melrosemoney.com. And I look forward to the healing process for everyone who takes this test. And I'm here for a resource for you as well. And nothing in this podcast is a recommendation. Hey, all you sea stars, goddesses, naiads, and Neptunes, aka the paradisiacs who care about the important stuff. 
I hope you all found some inspiration today and I hope to have your beautiful souls back for our next episode. This podcast supports a beautiful group of humans who gather on full moons and to find a link for Howl and Heal and for our website with these episodes, details, and blog, head to themelroseshow.com. You can also connect with me on IG at Melrose Wild or at the Melrose Podcast. Again, this is Melrose. I hope after you listen to this conversation, you feel some magic brewing in your own destiny. Thank you for listening and please subscribe or follow us to get updates on new episodes. And if you love this podcast, the best compliment is to rate us with five stars and maybe leave a little love note about how this podcast might be helping you. Have a wonderful day and may the forces of wholeness and growth be with you all. Have a beautiful day.